Hello everyone, Steampunk Link here, and before we start the show, I have something important to do. I would like to shout out some friends of the show. That has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Friends of the show? <sighs> wanted to say that for a while. First of all, I wanted to shout out once again, Nerds from the Crypt podcast and Catching Up on Cinema podcast. You can find them where all the podcasts live, or follow them on Twitter at NerdsFTC and at Catching Cinema, respectively. It was a lot of fun having Greg and Trevor on the show a few weeks ago, and you should definitely give their shows a listen. I also want to thank the fine folks over at the Drinkopedia podcast for fielding some of my questions on a recent Q&A. Their episodes are a lot of fun as they dive into a plethora of interesting topics while drinking. You can find them in the podcasting places as well, or follow them on Twitter at Pod. I also want to thank Prime Nostalgia Podcast for name-dropping us in a podcast about crafting your own dream block of television. What were the shows in my programming lineup? Well, you'll need to listen to Prime Show to find out, won't you? It's a fun show with some great guests. Look for the Prime Nostalgia Podcast on YouTube or follow them on Twitter at KVNG Prime Time. Finally, I want to shout out SNES is Life for shouting us out. They are a fun YouTube and Twitch production featuring the father-son team of Joe and Joe as they do kind of what we're doing and tackle every SNES game chronologically. Look for SNES is Life on YouTube and Twitch or follow them on Twitter at SNES underscore is underscore life. Thanks to all of you guys. We love you all. Now on to the show. Everybody and welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, we rank them. All the games are bad. Everything's yeah, bad today. This this is kind of a bad batch here. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I'm Emmy Zero, by the way, and I also played these bad <laughs> games. So two people suffered for your enjoyment, listener. This is time I could have been playing Animal Crossing, and I was playing these instead. I just want everyone to know that. Also, I want everyone to know I'm Steampunk Link. I don't think I actually said that. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we try not to be like you know a super reactionary like oh this is awful stuff podcast you know but no. it, oh, it's gonna be hard not to today yeah uh we usually don't go quite that hard in the intro but these ones are rough i'm not gonna lie maybe we'll find something as we talk about them good to say about them what are we gonna be getting into today what do we have to play all right well today we are going to play some race driving and then we're gonna play some tko championship boxing our second boxing game on the system and then we got wings two aces high which is not a poker game. No, it's not. It's also not based on the early 90s sitcom wings. Oh, but how great would that be, though? That'd be great. That could that could be like a weird, like sort of proto version of that game Valhalla, you know, the, the bartending sim, but with Steven Weber. You know, I'd play that. I'd rather play that than the thing that Wings 2 Aces High actually is, which uh, we'll get to eventually. So uh, what do you say we, we jump right into it? All right, yeah, let's let's jump right in. Let's jump right into our race driving cars and just zoom onto that track at a nice five frames per second or so. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get we'll get there eventually. Uh, it might just take a little while because oh boy, before we get into talking about race driving itself, I'm gonna go ahead and talk about the publisher, developer, all the background for this thing. Yeah, we are gonna do a deep dive today because uh, we're gonna be talking THQ and also. What else are we going to talk about today? So, um, first of all, though, this game uh, does come to us courtesy of Atari. This is actually a port of an arcade game by Atari, which itself was the follow-up to Atari's 1989 arcade hit, Hard Driving. So these games were pretty well-known arcade games, I think. They had, like, pedals and racing wheels and everything built into the cabinets. And they were fully 3D as well. They were a very early, fully polygonal racing game series, so they were very eye-catching and kind of cutting-edge games in that way. Yeah, so, I mean, it's an arcade game. They were pretty impressive in 1989 and 1990. Absolutely. On the SNES, uh, not quite as much the base snes hardware was not really up to the challenge of replicating that experience even visually uh certainly not 
with regards to things like the pedals and the force feedback steering wheel and, and any of that stuff. But this was published by THQ. Not the first game to be published by THQ that we've talked about, but I don't think we've really done a deep dive into THQ yet. So we're going to do that here. Go for it. So we've already looked at two THQ games. Those games were Home Alone and Pit Fighter. Actually, we've looked at more than that because we've also looked at James Bond Jr. and Home Alone 2. Yeah. There's been actually a fair bit of THQ representation so far, and it has pretty squarely landed towards the bottom of our list. Would it surprise anybody that the founder of THQ was none other than Jack Friedman, who also founded LJN? I am shocked. (laughs) Um, So THQ, I believe, stands for, originally stood for Toy Headquarters, right? That is correct. They actually started out with sort of a merger between Friedman's Toy Headquarters and a publicly held shell company called Trinity Acquisitions Corporation. So those companies merged uh, sometime around 1989, 1990. That is basically the formation of the THQ that we all knew and loved. They started uh, their games business in earnest in 1990 and got its first games out the door in 1991. So aside from the aforementioned SNES games that we already talked about, they also put out some games for the NES based on licenses like Fox's Peter Pan and the Pirates, and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, boy. I remember that game. Uh, I don't remember liking it, but I do remember it being a thing. It was interesting. It was a very faithful adaptation of that cartoon series. Also, remember when they turned Attack of the Killer Tomatoes into a cartoon for the kids? I sure do. There was like a furry tomato mascot guy right well he was actually in the movies but yeah that that was the thing yeah god the 90s were weird (laughs) yep everything got a cartoon yeah and oh going back to fox's peter pan and the pirates uh really quick do you know who played captain hook in that show no who tim curry that's actually really good casting it is yeah i actually watched that show a fair amount back in my youth and i didn't think it was that bad i wonder if it still holds up today though Anyway, the, that was Toon Talk. Sorry, we just went off on another tangent there. <laughs> Anything to keep from talking about these games today, you guys. Um. I actually tracked down an article in the LA Times from 1991 uh, in which they talked to Friedman around the holiday season of that year. Uh, this was pretty much THQ's first year releasing games. In the article, Friedman was actually pretty open about his business strategy of getting the rights to licenses early and cheap, hiring outside developers to make the product, because at the time the company, at only 16 employees, didn't have its own studio, and just getting the game approved by Nintendo and out the door as fast as possible. The LA Times mentioned that the contractor would receive around $150,000 for developing the game, and a modest royalty of the game that they produced, uh, maybe around 75 cents to a dollar 50, I think is what they quoted on that note, <laughs> capitalism, <laughs> <laughs> but this strategy actually seemed to work for a while. A lot of THQ's games based on licenses weren't what anyone would call great, but a lot of them did sell pretty well, well enough to keep THQ afloat. And as the nineties went on, THQ went from middling publisher to emerging powerhouse, thanks in no small part to acquiring the video game rights to things like WCW and Nickelodeon. Uh, Not only would the company start developing games in-house, but it would end up harboring its own dev studios, having uh, quite a few at one point, maybe like a dozen, I think, at one point. Some of which produced some genuinely pretty good and pretty, pretty noteworthy game series the twilight years of thq ended up seeing um you know several series that you know really do have significant fan bases you know uh saints row darksiders red faction they did actually end up in a position to be able to to make some quality original games that weren't you know tossed out licensed drac basically yeah they were really becoming a force to be reckoned with i mean really the company ballooned to the size that like they almost could have taken on like an EA or an Activision just in terms of number of studios and just the amount of games they could put out in the market in any given year. Uh, unfortunately, by the end of the aughts, the company was in dire straits. Kid software wasn't selling anymore, and the recession was causing sales of their most popular franchises to slow down. They ended up sinking a lot of resources into one of their last Hail Marys in the form of a unique video game peripheral called the U-Draw Tablet in 2010. 
and it was a colossal failure. I mean, to be clear, there was an initial version of it that was pretty successful that I believe was like a peripheral specifically for the Wii. And then on the basis of that, they kind of drastically overextended themselves trying to make the U-Draw like a huge thing. I think they were thinking of it in terms of, you know, something that's similar to like Rock Band or the, the Guitar Hero guitar of the day that, you know, this was a time when that kind of stuff was on the way out, but still a pretty viable part of the games market. They bet big and they bet wrong on the U-Draw, essentially. Yeah, I think with with the Wii, we saw a bigger demand and more tactile, hands-on, innovative ways of interacting with software. It just happened way too late. Yeah, I mean, it, it happened right around the same time that, like, smartphones and tablets, as we know them, like, you know, the iPad... We're, we're starting to become popular consumer devices. Yeah, and this was also around the time when people were finally starting to get rid of all their extra plastic peripherals like yes. the rock band instruments and everything else. Really, yeah, th- this is like an RCA CED level of just bad timing yeah. for releasing a very expensively produced product to the market. Exactly. You know, in a lot of ways, it took THQ down. They didn't really recover from that. They scaled back drastically after that, tried focusing on just some of their core franchises, but it was not enough. They limped through 2011, and by 2012, they had defaulted on some loans and had to declare bankruptcy. And by the end of the year, all of their studios and assets were either sold at auction or shut down entirely. And that's pretty much the THQ story. It is, yeah. There is kind of a zombie THQ that exists now and is is run by some seemingly pretty dubious people. So we will not talk about that here. But there is a company called THQ Nordic that owns most of THQ's assets and releases games. Further information about them uh, you can surely find elsewhere. But originally... Original flavor THQ, it got taken down by a variety of factors, not the least of which is the U-Draw tablet. So. so going back to the game that we were talking about, which was Race Driving, just in case you forgot, this is a racing stunt car simulation game that takes place from a first-person perspective. Um, everything is sort of polygonal and you get the idea again that this would have been really impressive on an arcade that could have run this properly but on the SNES this game is ugly it is choppy as all hell and it's not very good oh i mean basically this game runs so badly as to make it more or less unplayable it's interesting because there's stuff in this that I can see how this basic design for the game would be very cool if you had those like physical input devices that the arcade game has, you know, the the gear shift, uh, the force feedback steering wheel, the pedals. Without any of those, though, it it does feel like you are trying to drive a stick of butter over a hot pan. It's bad. It is kind of impressive that they managed to get things like the terrain elevation and the the fully 3D courses working on the Super Nintendo, but it all runs, as Steampunk Link alluded to before, at about five frames per second. It's terrible. I mean, basically, my experience with this game was driving the car for about five to ten seconds crashing, watching a hilarious <laughs> slow motion third person replay of the crash, and then trying again over and over on all three of the courses. There's there's one course that's more playable than the other two, I feel like, because it's mostly just kind of a flat driving course. But the other two courses are stunt courses with things like inclines and banked curves and loops. And none of those are really workable with how bad the game is at actually running. There are other cars that are nominally on the road with you that are shown as just kind of uh, barely visible wireframe outlines. It's hard to find anything positive to say about this. I can't even honestly really be like, oh, well, at least they tried Because I don't know what happened here, but there's also a Genesis version of this game, and that version actually looks like a playable game. I don't know why it ended up in such a poor state on the Super Nintendo, but it it really did. I mean, we've already seen from games like Top Gear that it's not impossible for the Super NES, even just going with the base hardware, to render elevated courses for racing and things like that. It can be done. So 
I just don't know what happened here. But honestly, like when they couldn't get this game running, you know, like at some point in development, they, they shouldn't have put it out. Yeah. Yeah. They should have just scrapped the SNES version entirely and yeah. just focused on the Genesis ones. Honestly, like I would say this game is broken. Yeah, I agree. It should not have been released. And I feel really bad for anybody that spent any money at all to play this game back in the day. Even if the frame rate had been better, even if the racing felt better, you've only got three cars, or sorry, you've only got four cars, you've only got three tracks. Even as just a racing game, this game is very limited, and it doesn't even have half the features that better racing games on the system have had. I mean, I feel like in some ways, if this game worked better, some of that might not have been as much of an issue, because I think this game is more supposed to be about, like, kind of driving perfectly than it is about the the racing action. So I can see there being an appeal to something where it's fun to kind of do the same thing over and over again and get really good at it. I don't really think that excuses Mm -hmm. the lack of content, but it it would be less of an issue. And there's a kind of puzzling thing here that I, I wish the game did differently, where there's more or less only actually three cars in this, but there's a manual and automatic version of one car. I don't really understand why they didn't just give you virtually every other racing game that has manual transmission. I don't get why they didn't just give you that as an option for all of the cars. That at least is a way to like kind of learn the track without having an extra thing to to focus on. It doesn't matter that much honestly cuz the cars don't really feel any different in practice when you're when you're driving them and you're always in a first person perspective so it's not like you can even see the car, but it's a strange choice and I don't I don't really get it. It was a strange choice to call this game race driving when, you know, I I do agree with you that it feels like the stunt aspect of this game was meant to be the big draw to it. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a whole lot else to say about this one, do you? No. I don't. I mean, I think we've pretty much run down all the ways that this just doesn't work. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting because this is actually, in some ways, it's kind of the same situation as Pit Fighter, where it's a home conversion of a, a at one point, pretty kind of technically cutting edge Atari arcade game. And the Super Nintendo somehow ended up once again with the absolute worst version of the game that that is out there. Could this... Could this game be worse than Pit Fighter? No, no, I wouldn't go. No, you don't think so? Well, I mean, I'm definitely looking towards the bottom of the list for this one. I would say, like, maybe The Rocketeer is is almost like a less playable game than this. Yeah, I think that's probably true. The Rocketeer is is both incredibly boring and in multiple different kind of game modes more or less unplayable. I think RPM Racing is a better game than this. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. I think RoboCop 3 is a is a better game than this, honestly. Yeah, folks, this is exciting. I think we're about to make history here because I think this is going to be the first game to debut sub 100. Now, do you want to have the discussion about whether this is worse than Pit Fighter or not? Do you think there's a there's a case to be made for that cuz I will listen to it. They've got similar problems. Uh, you know, there's there's a severe lack of of options as far as, you know, like you know, like selectable characters, you know, cars versus fighters. Um, but I do think, you know, that like at least Pit Fighter doesn't have the frame rate issue that yeah. race driving does. Well, so that would actually be like, eh, that would make it worse. Hmm. I don't know. We that would make just, it worse. Because we kind of just said that it's probably better than the Rocketeer in some way. We did. We did. And I mean, like, okay, the Rocketeer, you know what? The Rocketeer is definitely better than Pit Fighter. Yeah. I think this game is definitely worse than the Rocketeer. I just said it was less playable, but actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know that that's true. I don't think that there's anything engaging about the Rocketeer, and I think all of its modes are incredibly limited and not fun to play. But I think that they are all more functional and run better and than Race Drive that's does. That's true, unfortunately. Pit Fighter at least is like, for what it is, it's playable. It's incredibly ugly and unfun to play. But this game is just busted. It was fun to crash the car and then watch the little replay, which for some reason is happening without any change in perspective as far as you can still see your car's dashboard and everything. Almost like you've died and now you've gone to hell where you're watching yourself through your windshield crashing over and over again. Here's the thing, like, as a kid, like, if I had rented this game, I would have been sorely disappointed, but, like, my friends and I, we would have just, like, spent the night crashing the car in different weird ways and watching the replay and been entertained by that. Frankly, that one thing, because it is very funny, 
may actually put this above Pit Fighter. This is a legitimately tough call. These are both games that absolutely should not have been released on the system. Yeah. Like, I was about to say, maybe it's kind of impressive that they tried to do a fully 3D polygonal racing game on the Super Nintendo, just with the Super Nintendo's base hardware. But given how badly that works out, and how much worse this is than even, like, the equivalent version on the Genesis, I don't really think you can give it points for that. But, I mean, like, this isn't even, like, the brave experiment that, like, RPM Racing is, because no other game did what RPM Racing did. It's true. Whereas, like, we've already seen, like, things like Top Gear, like I said before, like, perfectly functional, in fact, fantastic racing games that try to do something very similar. Like, it doesn't have any loop-de-loops or anything. But, no, but it, is, it is doing a lot with what it has available on the Super Nintendo hardware to create that sense of you're changing elevation, you're, you've got a great sense of speed. You know, there's, there's ways you can use the Super Nintendo hardware to make a really good racing game of this type. And this is really just the absolute opposite of that. Pit Fighter has, you know, two-player... I mean, I think this game's worse than Pit Fighter. I think it is. I think that the more we talk about it, that's the conclusion I'm drawing as well. Yeah, I am I am shocked. I am beside myself. I did not think this would happen, but I think we found something worse than Pit Fighter. We did it. My goodness. That's incredible. Congratulations, THQ. You managed to be worse than that other game that we were very certain was the worst thing ever made. That was also by THQ. Yeah, THQ. It's, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> we did it. You did it. We found a game worse than Pit Fighter. And it's Race Driving, our new number 103 on the list, debuting in the absolute bottom position wow i'm i'm just speechless i'm i think i'm gonna need a moment before we get into our next game today yeah no this is this is a momentous occasion That next game is tko championship boxing now i I will say these next two games they are not good, but these are both far better than Race Driving, at least. So we got the worst of it out of the way. They're normal games. They're not horrible things that just never should have ever even been released. I mean, uh, Wings 2, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I mean, honestly, like if any of these manage to make it out of the bottom 20 of our list right now, I will be kind of surprised. But we are moving along here with TKO Championship Boxing, developed by Sting Entertainment, a company that unlike THQ is still around and are best known for, I guess, their RPG series these days. Yeah, the series that they're most known for, that to me at least, is it called Yggdra, Yggdra Union, I believe? Something, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to pretend I know how it's pronounced. It's spelled Y-G-G-D-R-A, I think? I, I think that's that's Yggdra or Yggdra. It's like Yggdrasil, the like world tree from Norse mythology. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. They are an interesting developer. They've done some cult classic games that have very strong followings. The Yggdra Union series is comprised of a few different games that all play very differently, including a really interesting game called Knights in the Nightmare that is basically like a combination bullet hell shooter and uh and rpg so they've got some unique stuff going on in a lot of their games but this is uh this is an early game from them and not much of that is really evident in this game that we're going to talk about today yeah this is an interesting company that just kind of put things out here and there throughout the 90s but uh by the late 90s early aughts they started kind of finding their niche with the rpgs um and other things, a lot of which I'm guessing never left Japan. Like I believe they're um, they have a pretty well known series in Japan called Baroque, which I don't think ever made it over here, as it's a visual novel. There was definitely a Baroque game that made it out here on like the PS2, but I think in general that series didn't really get much traction in the West. I remember them having a lot of games out in kind of the Dreamcast era as well. Yeah, they did do the uh, Evolution RPG series, That's which right. are games that I did play back in the day. So, I mean, I had to. I, I finished Skies for Arcadia and Grandia too, so I, I so did had to find something else. Anything else? In kind of a similar <laughs> vein on the Dreamcast. Yeah, what what else was I going to play? Elemental Gimmick Gear? Come on. But its initials are EGG. E-G-G. <laughs> Recently, they also worked with Atlas on Persona 4 Dancing All Night. So, okay. So they seem to still be doing things. Uh, their website says that they recently re-released Yidra Union We'll Never Fight Alone on the Nintendo Switch. So uh, again, don't know if that's available for uh, us over here in the States, but... 
I think it's a pretty easy thing to just get a Japanese Nintendo account. Yeah, one of those. yeah. We're focusing a lot on the other work that this company's done, but that's partially because it's it's honestly a little unusual for uh, you know a development team you know that isn't like part of Nintendo to still be out there making games you know up till right now. We move on to publisher Sofel Sofel maybe I'm not sure S O F E L. I have no idea. Not a whole lot of information about them out there. They were a pretty short lived publisher. They do not have a very extensive gameography. Uh, they seem to have mostly been responsible for developing and publishing the Casino Kid games on the NES. That's Casino Kid, Casino Kid 2, and Wall Street Kid. It's a Casino Kid. He took all his winnings and uh, went to Wall Street, became an investment banker uh, to play in the biggest casino of all. Yeah. Capitalism sucks, yeah. folks. Capitalism sucks. Yep, sure does. <laughs> Also, their uh, Casino Kid 2 was actually, uh, not only was it their final game, but it was a game that came strangely late to the NES, coming out in 1993. Wow, so actually, after the the time that we are talking about right now, that's really late. TKO Championship Boxing was actually their only Super NES published title. They did a few other things on the NES. They also created, or well, they also published, I should say, a Game Boy game called fish dude that is such a great title it really is he's a dude that's a fish what else do you need to know boxing yeah you know i I was kind of hopeful at first because like presentation wise this game looks a lot better than george foreman It, it is a nice looking game it's got pretty appealing sort of front end to the presentation. It's kind of nice to see a boxing game that's not just punch out, but worse. Uh, This is a kind of side perspective boxing game. You have a character that you can move around the ring. There's reasons to be hopeful here when you first see this game, but yeah, there is just really very little to it. We both, I think, tried to look up additional information about this game because we felt like we were missing something. And I personally wasn't able to find anything that was useful to me in learning how to play this game better. Yeah, neither was I. There was no online instruction manual for it, and nobody has bothered to write a game fact for it. So it seemed like my opponents were perfectly capable of doing things like blocking and doing like a little dash backwards to get away from me quickly. Those are all things I never figured out how to do. I I tried pushing all of the buttons. I tried timing all of the buttons at the right time. I tried tapping the D-pad in a direction to maybe is a dash. None of that worked. So I do not know how to do anything other than the two punches that are mapped to two with face buttons. This is a game that leaves two face buttons seemingly unused for some reason. Yeah. So I, again, like, I don't know if like the timing on the blocks just has to be perfect and I never got it down well enough for it to work and that's why I never saw my guy block but if there is any kind of technical depth to this game it's so precise and fiddly as to be basically invisible unless you know exactly what you're doing so I'm going to say for our purposes it's just not there this feels like a really basic game and the game gives the impression that there might be some more depth to it the boxers all have different stats you can I believe pick which boxer you're using straight out the gate yep. for the the kind of championship mode. So there's a few different modes in this. There's a championship mode where you fight through a roster of other boxers. There's a one-on-one mode where you can fight the computer just in a single match. And there is also a two-player mode. But yeah, the, the game tries to give you little bits of advice from your trainer before you fight each individual boxer. You know, yeah, this guy's not really great at punching, but he's really fast, or this guy throws a lot of punches, and you know he's, he hits like a wrecking ball, that kind of stuff. And ultimately, I just didn't see much difference between the different boxers, and I, I found it really difficult to do anything except just stand there, punch, and maneuver around the guy so that you're slightly out of, out of the range of the other boxer. I will say, you know, I, I appreciated a few things. I liked how... In between matches, after you win a match, you're allowed to pick a a training exercise that's going to boost a specific stat. Mm -hmm. And it gets a little bit, you know, boxing simulation-y in that regard. It's kind of neat, but ultimately it's pretty shallow. It's just, hey, which stat do you want to increase and increase that stat? Some of the exercises seem to do the same thing. Like the the game sort of talks as if uh, punching power and punching speed are different stats, but they all seem to be the same stat. I kind of liked the idea of having a stamina meter tied to how much you're punching so that like you can't just 
stand there and keep another boxer just like stun locked in yeah. an endless cycle of, of jabs. I thought that That's was a neat idea. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was good for, for kind of balance and, you know, you can get in, get a few punches in and then you got to back off because your punches are going to start getting less effective until you just can't do them anymore until you've, you know, kind of recovered that. Um, I was a little bit frustrated by the fact that like I would punch a guy and I, it would take a long time before I'd actually see, anything reflected in his health meter. Yep. I had the same sensation for sure. So I don't know if like there's some kind of science to it or if it's just, I'm doing so little damage that it's not reflected in his health meter until, you know, I get it a certain amount. Da- I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of strange. And I wish that, you know, I, I knew how that was working out. Like if there's some sort of stamina meter that is keeping you from taking damage you know, but once it's exhausted, now you're taking damage. But again, that yeah, there, there's no on-screen indication that that's the case. So I don't really know. Yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff here that's either just is not here or is totally obscured by the game. I wish I knew more about how this game actually is supposed to work, but I, I do kind of have the impression that even if I did, there's just some some things about this that are just not well thought out. The Japanese version of this apparently did have like a story mode that uh, we can't speak to because uh, we played the American version, which which has that totally stripped out. I do kind of wonder if maybe that added a little bit more meat to this whole thing. There's really just not much here, is what I'm is what I'm getting at. I'm not opposed to the idea of just a two dimensional sort of side scrolling, almost belt scroller like take on boxing differentiated from the over the shoulder view that we typically get in games like punch out just doesn't do enough to make this interesting good presentation some interesting ideas but some of the mechanics just are either lacking or just abstracted out of the game so much as to be almost invisible and incomprehensible to someone just coming at this without an instruction manual i think i'm probably ready to rank this one how about you uh yeah i'd say let's go to the list i feel like a good place to start would probably be george foreman's uh tko boxing or ko boxing sorry he's 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 only got the ko he didn't get the technical yeah which one's better i don't even know i think a ko is better because that means you actually knock the person out i think a tko is when like the ref calls the fight saying like this person cannot fight anymore and it's unsafe for me to let the fight continue got it okay i'm declaring the other guy the winner i think is a technical knockout that makes sense that makes sense i i would say that in those terms probably the ko is is the more satisfying win i think in these terms i would put the TKO boxing above the George Foreman's KO boxing. I'm tempted to do that as well, though I do think that, like, mechanically, George Foreman's KO boxing has a lot more going on, but you could also say that it's like, what's going on there is just punch out, but not as good. That's sort of where I'm at with it, too. Like, that one took a pretty established format for that kind of game and then just sort of did it in a less good way, whereas this at least is doing something different. And in some ways it works, it's just not very much is happening here. How do you feel about this for the ceiling? Um, Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2 being the ceiling, because that is a game that's way too complicated for me to be able to play, but I know that there is good documentation out there and that it is possible to figure it out on one's own if I had the patience to do so. Yeah. Whereas this game... It does not. You need some sort of documentation that apparently does not exist online right now and is like completely abstracted out from the player. I am assuming that there is a way to block and dodge and things like that because the characters are animated to do that. The opponents were doing it. So I assume I can do it, too. It's just not intuitive at all as to how I would go about doing it. Yeah, given that range, if we're saying it's probably better than George Foreman's KO boxing, but... Not as good as Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2 for for all the reasons you just stated. That gives us uh, three games to work with here. Zardion, Skulljagger, and Home Alone 2. I don't think I'm prepared to put this above Zardion. I like Zardion a little bit too much to put this I, above I that. have respect for Zardion that would not allow me to put this above it. Skulljagger is a little bit of a better thing to have a conversation about, actually, I guess, because that game does have a variety of different mechanics, and they're pretty well surfaced, but they're also just not very well thought out. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's like, at least they put in, like, a training area for you to get a handle on the bubblegum mechanics, but on the other hand, the bubblegum mechanics were done in a just a completely ridiculous way. So, you know, presentation-wise and in terms of having at least some original ideas, you know, like the training exercises that you talked about uh, between rounds, 
I think maybe there's a little bit more to recommend this game than there is Skulljagger. Okay. I don't know. What do you think about putting it between Zardion and Skulljagger? I think I'm okay with that. All right. Good job, Super TKO Boxing, managing to just barely make it in above 90. You are now our new number 88 game. We've got one final game to talk about, and that is Wings 2 Aces High. This is another really strange one. It's weird that this is on the Super Nintendo. It's really weird that this is on the Super Nintendo exclusively. This did not come out for any other system. This is a game that apparently had a completely different title and was sort of much in the same way Doki Doki Panic was dragged into the Mario universe. (laughs) This game was dragged under the Wings brand, I believe. Yep, that's pretty much what happened, I think. So the original Wings game was a product of Cinemaware. They were the developer and publisher of the original game. They don't seem to have any involvement in this sequel, because, again, this was meant to be a completely different game. I Do you remember what the title was in Europe? The, the original title of this game? This game was Blazing Skies, developed by Malibu Interactive. Let me just run down some other games that Malibu Interactive uh, worked on. Three Ninjas Kickback, Batman Returns, ABC Wide World of Sports Boxing, David Robinson's Supreme Court. Which is a basketball game, by the way. <laughs> Cliffhanger. They did, you know, a variety of things. Licensed platformers, several different sports games, uh, Riddick Bow Boxing. They will eventually work on a kind of unusual game based on Sequest DSV that we will play eventually. Yeah, I believe we'll get to Riddick Bow Boxing as well. Probably most notable for this game in particular, the producer on this game was Ken Lobb who would later go on to work for Rare, a co-create Killer Instinct. Uh, I believe he also worked in some capacity on GoldenEye 007. Uh, there's actually a weapon in, I believe, in that game named after him called the Clob. He's also a secret character for the versus mode in that game. He's also featured very prominently in Nintendo Power's uh, VHS promotion of donkey kong country (laughs) that's right he is i remember that this was released here uh in the u.s by namco yeah actually i guess this was released everywhere by namco yeah yeah because again like uh cinemaware who worked on the original had nothing to do with this one the original wings was a somewhat more technical flight simulator ish dogfighting game you know aerial combat game that was basically made for the commodore amiga much later on it got ported to other systems like the game boy advance windows and Mac and iOS and Android. And for some reason, it came out on the BlackBerry. Yeah, that's weird. I don't really get that. So we should say uh, that both of these Wings games are about uh, dogfighting and doing other things in your airplanes. World War One era, from a very European perspective, Wings 2, all of your pilots are flying for the British Royal Army, I believe? The, Ro- the Royal Air Force, the RAF, yeah. Royal Air Force, sorry, yeah. Although um, it, it is kind of strange because like some of them are... Canadian and American, but are still flying for the the RAF. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That is kind of strange. And honestly, like, I think it's just strange that a World War One flight sim thing came out on the Super NES exclusively. I agree. Yeah. You know, for the kids, like, here's some World War One stuff. Did they think there was a market for this back then? I guess maybe they thought, hey, kids, remember when when Snoopy fought the Red Baron? Well, now you can fight the Red Baron like Snoopy. World War One and Peanuts, just the the two things all 90s kids had to have. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Back then, we were probably more likely to have known Red Baron by the freezer pizza. <laughs> that's than true. That's else. actually really true. <laughs> I guess, put off talking about the game itself for long enough. Yeah. This game essentially is comprised of a few different parts. None of them sit tremendously well together, but they are what this game offers, which is you essentially select a pilot to start with, and then you were just sort of dropped in, I would say almost WarioWare style, (laughs) into a variety of different mission scenarios with no real preparation and told to do something very quickly, whether that is a Mode 7 pilot wing style 
behind the plane view where you are dogfighting with another plane or uh, a top-down view where you were supposed to bomb a specific target that you were given an, an image of before you start playing. The only kind of preparation this game gives you is those bombing raids where it will show you like a black and white photograph of what you're aiming for. So basically one thing that is pretty striking about this game is that when you start off, you are given seconds to complete your objective. And if you don't, either you fail and get reprimanded and busted down a rank by your commanding officer, or you just crash and die. It's doubly frustrating then that the game will do stuff like have the gun for your plane mapped to one of the face buttons in the dogfighting mode. And it will have the bombs mapped to a shoulder button in the bombing mission mode. My experience with this game was trying a mission, failing, either having to restart with a new pilot or just having to redo the mission over and over again until you just barely manage to eke out a successful completion for it. At which point you're given the option to upgrade some stats for your pilot. Then it just dumps you into another mission. Uh, There's also strafing missions, which are also behind the back of the plane, like the dogfighting ones where you're supposed to shoot a target on the ground. And these to me are the actual worst part of the game. Yeah, the strafing missions are real strafing strange in that they feel like almost a mix of the dogfighting and the bombing raid missions where the perspective is more like the dogfighting, but you're still firing at something on the ground. You're so close to the ground, it is incredibly difficult to parse, you know, how close your plane sprite is to the ground. And if you're too close and crash, then that's just it. There's no second chances. I'm really frustrated with like the rigidity of this game because it just kind of keeps going. It's incredibly linear. You can't just like select missions and try them out or anything like that. You do the dogfighting mission first, then you do the bombing raid, then you do the strafe mission, and then you have to do you know, whatever happens after that. I don't even know. I didn't have the patience to keep playing, honestly. But for the bombing raid, I missed the building the first time because I had the same problem you described earlier. I didn't realize that suddenly my weapons are mapped to a completely different button on the controller. And then I had to do that mission again. I did successfully drop bombs on the building this time, but it didn't actually blow it up. I am not entirely sure what I did wrong or what I could have done differently. But at that point, they just declared the mission a failure. I lost another rank, but we moved on to the next one. So you don't really get to like retry things in a meaningful way. Right. If your pilot crashes, then they die. You just move on to the next mission with the remaining pilots. Like if you've gone on a lot of missions with a specific pilot and put a lot of work into upping their stats just to have them be lost to you, that's pretty frustrating. So uh, this game does use Mode 7 to kind of scale the ground uh, in relation to you know how your plane is turned and things like that. It works all right, but I, I don't think that the ground bitmap is all that impressive looking compared to other things we've seen. No, I agree. I mean, this game basically uses Mode 7 for the same kind of stuff that Pilot Wings did, actually, but... It, it does a worse job of it than that game does. I think that the behind-the-plane flying camera is good, but once again, it's nothing we haven't seen before. It's certainly not better than what we've seen before in Pilot Wings. The overhead view during the bombing missions, uh, changing depth, you know, going up and down and, and seeing that bitmap kind of zoom in and out works pretty well, but once again, it's nothing particularly impressive or new at this point. Yeah, and uh, some other things that, you know, I'm not crazy about, I don't like the way the planes control. Like, if you hit right on the D-pad, the plane will sort of, uh, you know, bank to the right and start turning right, but when you release right, it doesn't stop doing that, and now you have to press left to actually get the plane to fly straight again it, it that just felt weird to me i feel like there's an awkward mix of arcadey shooter gameplay and flight sim like managing of the plane in this those two things don't really work together very well here there's the whole problem of being able to sort of parse where the ground is in relation to your sprite like i talked about before if you so much as clip the enemy plane you're dead if you take too much damage obviously you're dead get too close to the ground you're dead also i don't know if your plane actually recovers like you have a in your mission briefing after completing or failing a mission you'll see like how much 
damage has been done to your plane percentage wise, which makes me wonder, you know, like, do, do I, does some of that damage or all of that damage carry over? I'm assuming that maybe it has to do with your pilot's mechanical skills, that maybe the higher their mechanical skills are, the more damage they recover. But also like, why in the hell would you send a damaged plane out to engage an enemy? Oh, this plane only has a few bullet holes. It'll be fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It didn't hit the gas tank, so we're good. I don't have anything else to say. I've kind of aired my grievances with this. I wish I had more fun with it, but I didn't really have much of any fun. And whatever I enjoyed about this, I would say Pilot Wings did an infinitely better job with. So I guess we need to figure out where this one goes. Uh, so I mean, part of me is like, well, we could start at Pilot Wings and go down from there. We'd have to go a long way down from there. Yeah. I mean, this really does kind of feel like Pilot Wings and that it's a game about flying then it, and it gives you different events or missions to go on, but it's so much less than Pilot Wings and not nearly as impressive technically or gameplay wise. Well, okay. What do you think about this for a starting point then? Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank War in the Gulf. Ah, good call. I mean, Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank is boring and it, it takes a while for things to really ramp up, but I at least feel like I figured that game out. Yeah. I could conceive of getting good enough at that game to play it effectively. With this one, like because of some of the technical problems and just the wonkiness of the controls, I think it's going to be a lot harder for me to actually get to the point where I feel like I'm playing it effectively and it doesn't feel like it's worth my time to get there. So I probably would put this below Super Battle Tank. So yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. Uh, below that, we got Kablooey, which is a game that I don't really know how to compare this one to that other than that they're both kind of frustrating to control. I think I liked Kablooey's, like, level setups enough that I would probably give it the edge over this one. I mean, again, like, I can parse Kablooey. Like, I can figure it out. I, I think Kablooey could have been done a lot better. I figured it out, at least. Which is more than I can say for Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2, a game I certainly didn't figure out. No. But, you know, again, again you could almost kind of lob the same sort of criticism at Wings 2 that I did at TKO Championship Boxing when comparing it to this game. Yeah. You know, Romance of the Three Kingdoms is meant to be a pretty complex experience, and it is meant for a very specific kind of audience. Yes. Whereas this maybe should have been a little bit more immediately understandable in a way that it, it just absolutely wasn't. Yeah, I mean, this game's just so unfriendly to new players in a way that, you know, is not justified at all by the complexity of the game. Like, it really shouldn't be this hard to figure out what you're doing in Wings yeah. 2. Like, really, I could see it going down, like, below TKO Championship Boxing. Yeah, I'm with you there. It just occurred to me, maybe David Crane's Amazing Tennis is a good place to look at this. Because David Crane's Amazing Tennis also had the issue where it's just too mechanically complex for what it is, and it kind of just throws you into the deep end without any kind of real warning. I think I like the presentation of David Crane's Amazing Tennis a lot more, but it's also doing even less than this game is doing. Like, this game has various modes and pilots and other stuff where David Crane is just like, hey, you are this one guy playing tennis against these few other people, and that's your lot, you know? Uh, one guy with a very good jacket, to be fair. One guy with a very good jacket, yes. Yeah, I could see it going below this, honestly. I, I'm i trying to think where, where the floor is for this one. There's not much left, really. I would say it probably doesn't dip below RPM Racing at number 100. Looking at all of this, I would say I would probably give Earth Defense Force the edge over this one, but not Home Alone. Okay. I think Home Alone is just too poor of a game, just overall to really justify me being able to say it's it's better than than wings 2 hmm, that would put it below ultraman and i don't know if i would put this game below ultraman honestly wings 2 almost gets it but it just it i don't know it, it needs something more i mean i i think that's that's the thing though like if if wings 2 was better at onboarding the player into how it actually works it might actually be kind of a fun game it's just not doing any of that stuff that's that's fair that's that's a good point um so yeah if we're going kind of a little bit above uh, ultraman we got bill Ambeer's combat basketball at 96 wwf super wrestlemania at 95 i think i'd put it just above ultraman i i, I don't think i would put this above bill Ambeer's combat basketball okay uh, I can go with that. All right. So our new number 97? New number 97, Wings 2, Aces High. 
Uh, actually, Ace is very low in this case. All right, and uh, that's it. We're done with these. Thank goodness. We don't have to play these ever again. <laughs> We're going to have episodes like that where everything's bad and... And that's okay because we'll have episodes like next week's episode, too, where we've got some really interesting stuff coming up, including one game that I know we both really like. So should I tell everybody what, what's on deck? By, by all means, go right ahead. All right. So, folks, we are finally, finally getting into November of 1992, and we will be there for a while. And we are going to kick off the month with Soul Blazer. Very excited. Out of this world, which uh, gameplay-wise I don't know about, but visually incredibly interesting, and on the ball, which I know nothing about. Don't even know what kind of game that is. Me either. Uh, I know nothing about it like you. So that is going to be interesting. I think that's going to be a cool mix of games. And uh, I will be excited also to hear from our old friend Newsy again. Yeah, see what he's been up to. Yeah, as we head into November 92. Man, I cannot believe we are actually done with October. I feel like we were there forever. Strap in, folks, because as we finish out 92 go into 93 the months get even longer because a lot of games <laughs> came out yeah. in 93 yeah. so i think that's going to do it for us for today i hope you guys enjoyed listening to the history of some of these games uh and enjoyed the fact that you didn't have to play them and and you you don't have to don't play these please don't Just don't don't play any of them they're not worth it all right folks well as always thank you all very much for listening until next time i'm steampunk link i'm in zero play it loud Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. I've been playing this game so much, actually. Like, I was outside today taking out the trash, and, like, I saw a ladybug, and my immediate thought was, like, oh, ladybug, and... And then I, I, yep, yeah, I'm immediately like, wait, that's that's silly. Yeah, and, I've done stuff like that too, for sure. I do things like that when I'm out, like the the few times I've been in like a store with like housewares items. This whole thing started. I've been like, oh, I could put that in my living room, and I bet I could put it like <laughs> next to like the egg lamp, and it would look really. Oh, wait, no, that's the game. Damn it. Well, like it's it's silly that I thought that just by seeing a, a ladybug because it's like, I mean, obviously I've already donated a ladybug to the museum and they're not worth very many bells. They're not bells, worth so. that much. Yeah. They're not worth very <laughs> yeah. much. So what was I even <laughs> thinking? <laughs>